0: So for folks that have this version, we're going to be reading from page 747. And I'll be reading from the book of Luke, chapter 11, chapter 15, sorry, verses 11 to 24. So, I think page. <clears throat> and then he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property. and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then they began to celebrate. This is the word of God. Thanks so
1: much, Uche. And I thought if you ever have someone that has a voice like that, you've got to get them before the congregation, right? (laughs) Yes. And then I'm at Uche, and so uh, she's having a good time up here. Such an incredible story, and what we're going to do for the next three weeks is we're going to just camp out in Luke 15. There are some incredible truths that I want you and I in our community of faith to express that. We want to be a community of faith. People who are seeking God, people who are putting our hope in Him, and people who are understanding the great temptations and assumptions that every single one of us have in this room. So we've got kids of all ages in here, and so those of you that don't have kids, if you don't have kids, raise your hand, man, just raise them high, because we've got a steward for you. Alright, we're going to test your patience. Over the next 30 minutes, you're going to see what the rest of us live with 24-7, 365. So just hang with us, it's going to be great. There are going to be babies screaming, there are going to be kids eating things. some adults are going to ask for and paper after a while, but we've got your kids figured out, okay? We're going to take care of them and try to get you guys uh, focused in on what's going on this morning. Who, who knows, when you have a contract with a hotel like this, they let you know, hey, we've got no kids space for you, we say, all right, we're going to, we're going to roll with it. What you don't know is when we got here this morning, they actually told us they don't have electricity for us this morning. So we, we had to make a choice, electricity or kids, and we went with electricity. So. Okay, we're going to be in this passage, Luke 15, and I want you just to, and I want you to be reading this so that you come ready to really hone in with us and focus in on what in the world we're going to be talking about. There's a great story. The first portion of the story which read really is about the younger son. It's very interesting. It's the younger son, really the kind he gets the title for most Bibles, right? Does your Bible, what does the, your Bible call this guy? The The prodigal son, right? And so it's really, the focus is on him. But there are three very unique characters in in this story, right? The younger son, the older son, and the father. And there is something for us to learn from every one of their stories. In fact, in every one of their stories, beginning this morning with the younger son, every one of us in this room will see a portion of ourselves in the story of the younger son. Every one of us in this room. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to extract three major themes out of this first passage this morning three major themes not just from the younger son's life but the same things that run through my life and that run through your life and what i want to say is that every one of us in this room come in here with quite a few assumptions just just I ask you a question could it be possible that the assumptions you make about yourself and about god are incorrect could that even be possible It's not rhetorical. I really want to know, but I I want to focus on the people that think it's possible. Could it be possible that the assumptions you make about yourself and the assumptions you make about God are actually not true? They're actually unfounded. They're actually a figment of your imagination or of our culture's imagination. And so I want to extract three themes that you see run through the younger son's life, but they're also themes that run through our life. The first one is this, and I just want to lay it out there. The first one is this. The younger son wants his father's stuff but he doesn't want his father the younger son wants his father's stuff but he doesn't want the father if you look when verse 11 gets going of chapter 15 the very first thing you say jesus says there was a young man this young man goes to his dad and he says to him not hey dad when you die would you give me some of your stuff he doesn't go to his dad and say dad things I want to invest my life in, would you give me a loan that will cover uh, some share of my inheritance in the future? If he asks his dad in a very demanding tone, in fact, it, it's, it's an imperative. He says, God, dad, give me. Dad, will you give me? Do you see that in verse, verse 12? He says, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And his father divides the property, and in verse 13 it says, not many days after that. This younger son had his heart set on one thing. The younger son believed that if he got his father's stuff, he would end up satisfied, he would end up fulfilled, he would end up happy. It says not many days after his dad gave him the stuff, he set out, which means what? The son had a plan all along, Right? Every one of us in this room, we have something in our minds, something maybe that we've written in a journal, something that we have in our dreams, that if we get that thing, then we will be happy, satisfied, we will be fulfilled. And the son, he literally believes that if he gets his dad's stuff, everything else is going to work out just fine. This younger son had a relationship with his father for one reason. His dad for him was a means to an end. His dad for him was a means to an end. He literally believed that the best thing about his father was his father's stuff. He literally believed the best thing about his father was His father's stuff. And here's what's ironic. It is actually his father's stuff that takes him far away from the father. You see that? Isn't that ironic? It's actually the gifts of the father, the thing the father has given to his son, that actually takes the son very far away from his father. Isn't that ironic? A little too ironic? Anybody else think of the land of set right here? Not in my notes at all, but it just comes out. And we're family here, so let's bring it up. Anybody want to sing the rest, and then we'll get back to the sermon? It is quite ironic to me that the Father's stuff, the Father's good things, the Father's blessings, the Father's gifts to His Son, and the Father does it with a pure heart, a good heart, it's actually the stuff the Father gives the Son that makes the Son live far away from the Father. While you and I think that's ironic, the same thing happens in our relationship with God. Sometimes, sometimes, the stuff God gives us is actually the stuff that creates a great chasm between us and God. How does that work? Well, God gives you money, right? God gives you a job. God gives you that relationship that you believe in your mind, God, I will do for you if you will give me that And when you get that, guess what you don't need anymore? When you get the money, right? When we're in a financial crisis, right? We want God, right? Do you know when 9-11 hit 10 years ago now, do you you know how many churches were flooded with people the following Sunday? Why? Because they needed something from God. Those churches don't have the same attendance this morning. That they did 10 years ago on that morning. Why? Because God became for those people a means to something else. And here's the great temptation for us. When God gives us good stuff, it increases in our mind our sufficiency. When God gives good stuff to us, it, it helps us say, man, the thing i wanted from God, I've got now. The relationship that I was desperate for God to put me in, I have now. And so what the temptation is for me, and the temptation is for you, that we begin to love God's stuff, but God's stuff actually props us up to think we're sufficient ourselves. And the moment that you begin to think that you're sufficient yourself, who are you not tempted to need anymore? Does that make sense? Am I the only one? So this younger son, he gets all his father's stuff. He wants the father in our So here's what's interesting: the son believes, the son believes that the best his father has to offer he already has in his own possession. You see that? The son wanted the relationship with the father for his stuff. The dad gives the son the stuff. The son leaves, and part of the reason the son leaves is because he believes he got from his dad the best that his dad had to offer. When I was growing up, I'm privileged to have a great relationship with my dad, and I had a great relationship with my boys. My two younger sons are in here. Would you guys put the Thomas the Train book aside and just raise your hand? Sam, Asher, would you just raise your hand. Those are two of my three sons, and we have a great relationship. And I had a great relationship with my dad. But there were times for them, and there were times when I was a kid, and there were times when you were a kid, when you did stuff, showed love to, acknowledged, honored your parents for one simple reason. So that you would get good things from them, or so that they would withhold bad things from my dad growing up, I I had a good relationship with my dad, but there were times when I needed money, when when I needed other things in life, that I literally would try to honor my dad so that he would give me those things. As I've grown older, I can honestly say this from the sincerity in my heart, the reason I love spending time with my dad now, the reason I love talking to him on the phone a couple times a week, the reason we email back and forth, is because I want more of the relationship. He's still a very generous man. He sent me my first chrome bag this week. Pretty cool dad, right? Pretty cool dad. Uh, two weeks before my birthday, just to give a heads up, the rest of you still have time. But the reason I love spending time with him now is not because he's going to give me sex. It's because I want the relationship. The younger son, in the story of this story, in the story of the prodigal son, the younger son leaves his dad because he thinks He's got all that he can get from his dad. He honestly thinks he's got the best that his dad has to offer. But what's true? The truth is, is that he's left his dad forfeiting the best his dad has to offer. The best his dad had to offer, the best I had to offer as a dad to my sons, is the relationship. The very thing the son has left is the best that his dad had to offer. Some of you in this room, you want God for some other reason than yourself. Every one of us we're tempted to want God for what we can get, right? So if you're sick, you want God so that you can get it. if you're sick, you want God so you can get it. I got the air conditioner up here, remember we're outside, I need your help. If if you're poor, you want God sometimes so you can get it. If you're jobless and unemployed, unless you're already in retirement, you want God so that you can get up. Right, and so every one of us, it's just natural that we want God so that He can give us stuff. And here's the the, the problem sometimes is that we have a God who gives us great stuff. But if you get God's stuff, His blessings, His gift, and you don't get God, and you walk out of that situation thinking that you've won friends, I want to be straight with you. You've lost. you you forfeited the best God has to offer. Some of us in this room, if we were offered millions of dollars, but didn't have to have a relationship with God, or could not have a relationship with God, if we took the millions of dollars, some of us in this room, we would take the money. And if that's you, then the reason that you desire God, the reason you're praying, the reason maybe why you're at church this morning is that you want more of his stuff, but you really don't care about more of him. And if that's you, God isn't pleased, and you are missing out on the best God has for you. That's the first thing. The younger son wants his father's stuff, but he doesn't want his father. The second theme I see is this. The younger son has to hit rock bottom before he ever considers coming home. You see him hitting rock bottom here? Please just pick it up in verse... 14, it says, when the sun spins everything, that's part of him headed towards rock bottom. A severe famine arose in that country. He begins to be in need. So he goes and he hires himself out to be a man who's feeding pigs. So that we understand the context, this is not just how many of you would love this job? Feeding pigs, anybody? So that you understand it's not just a guy who should be thinking second thoughts about having a job feeding pigs, what do we know about the context of who Jesus is talking about? What's what's the culture? What's the religion? What's the nationality? This guy's Jewish. Jews and pork don't mix, right? And so now you've got a Jewish young man who set off with lots of his dad's wealth and property. He spent everything. A famine comes. There's no food. There's nothing growing. The only job this Jewish young man can get is feeding pigs. The Bible tells us they get so bad that not only does he have a job feed. What, what do pigs eat? I know we're in the, the city, that's an uncommon thing here, right? Anybody know what pigs eat? Orlando does. Anybody have an idea what do pigs eat? It's great. We're just a bunch of city pigs. I heard some crazy things out there, but again, the air conditioning is killing me on the side. Anything. Perfect. And so now you have a young man who's feeding the pigs. And it gets so bad, he gets to the point where he actually longs, desires, yearns to eat what the pigs are eating. That's a good day. Who's up for that for lunch? So here's the deal. God doesn't allow or if these things don't happen to the son do you think the son ever begins to go back towards his father sometimes though you think it's God being cruel the best place you can be is in a place of desperation for some of us in this room until we're in a desperate enough place We don't have a longing for God. We don't have a longing to return to Him. When we're fine, when our bills are paid, when our family's well, when no one around us is dying, when the cancer test comes back negative, you don't have cancer, we don't have this deep need for God. Sometimes, the reason God will bring desperate times into your life is because that's exactly what it takes for you to recognize and acknowledge and look back towards Sometimes. Do you think that this son would have returned to his father if life would have been well for him. If his pockets are still full, if the women that he's been sleeping with are still coming around, if he's got all, that he, all the food that he wants and there's no famine, he's well fed and his father's money is now making money, do you think that he gets to a place where he actually wants to go back home? Absolutely. I want to say this clear. God will do, and perhaps right now he is doing, whatever it takes in your life to get your attention. And you and I will look at that and go, God, that is cruel for you to take that away. God, it is cruel for you to let this person around me die. God, it is cruel to have this disease. And what seems like God being very mean and very cruel to you, it could actually be the way and the manner in which he's rescuing you and you. And if you're headed down into the cycle that this younger son is in the story, let me tell you, and I, don't, I can make any promise about what God's going to do, but let me please plead with you. May he get your attention before it's too late. May, may you turn towards him before time expires, before it's too late. How much more is going to have to happen in my life and in your life before we we'll finally look up to him, acknowledge him, and turn back to the So the younger son has to hit rock bottom and perhaps some of us in this room we are hitting rock bottom. The third thing I want you to see is that the younger son's journey home is full of unexpected responses. The son in this story, he has amazing assumptions about his father. And so his journey home is full of unexpected responses. It says in verse 17, when the son came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants I have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your high servants. The assumptions the son has here, here's the first thing he assumes. The son assumes that the father-son relationship has already expired and it will never exist. That's why he begins to say, I'm going to go home to my dad, I'm going to tell him, hey, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, make me like one of your servants. Remember, he wants to eat the stuff pigs are eating. His servants are eating a lot better than what he's eating or what he's wanting to eat. So he says in his mind, father-son relationship, so it'll never exist again. That is in the past. I gave that up. I took his inheritance. I'm out of the family. I don't belong. I can't come home as a son. But maybe I can come home as an employee. So he begins to rehearse the speech to his dad. He's got quite a few assumptions about his father. And us in this room, we have quite a few assumptions about how God responds. You see verse 21? He says, I am no longer worthy to be called a son. I am no longer worthy to be called a son. Is this statement correct? Is this statement correct? Absolutely. He is 100% accurate in that statement. But he's 100% wrong in the assumption that he has about his dad. He is absolutely right. He's blown it. He's maybe the only person in this culture that's ever asked for their dad's inheritance while their dad was still alive. He's absolutely right. He is no longer worthy to be called the son of his father. But his assumptions about his father are completely wrong, aren't they? So he comes home and he begins to tell his dad the story that he's been rehearsing. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father says to his servant. I want you to not miss this his aim his number one goal the dream that he now has because he's given up on the other dreams his number one goal is to become one of these servants and his dad doesn't look at the son and say go do this for me go do that for me he looks at the other servants and says time to take care of my boy it's time to get something for my son and here's what i want you to get i want you to go and get the best road owns the best robe in the house, in your, in your opinion? His, his dad does. His father does. And so he's saying, hey, go get my best robe. He's saying, go get a ring. Go get some shoes for his feet. Go and kill the fattened cat. Now, you may have beef five times a week, or you may be a vegetarian and never have beef. Beef is a rare delicacy here in this culture. And so if the father says, go kill the fattened calf, he doesn't say, understand this, he doesn't say, go kill one of the fattened calves. There is no discussion from the servants. Hey, which calf do we kill, Dad? Or sir, or master? Which dad, which calf do we kill? The reason he doesn't ask the question, because in everyone's mind in that home and working in that home, there was one in mind, the fattened calf. And you can imagine that this father and these servants, they have a full calendar this day. But when the son comes home, the calendar gets thrown aside because there is something more important than keeping up with the duty of the father. There's something more important than taking care of the father's home. The father's son was dead, the text says, and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. It's time to celebrate. Everything that the son assumed about his father was. Some of the things that you assume about God our Father are completely inaccurate. It's time to have a party, for the son was dead and he's alive again, he was lost and he's found, and so they began to celebrate. Again, was the son right? Was it true that he was no longer worthy to be a son to his father? Is it true that you, because every one of us, we've chosen our own way, we've walked away from God, we knew His intention, and we've chosen something different. Is it true that every one of us us in this room is no longer worthy to be called a daughter or no longer worthy to be called a son? Is that true? Absolutely. We've called this series, Performance Driven God, and here's mine. Everything in life that I do and everything in life that you do the results are dictated by our performance. Right? And this is a good thing, right? If you have employees, you need them to perform. Right? And so this is true in sports. Giants finally got their first W yesterday. They're not going completely defeated. Rest easy. The guys that made the team, Brandon Belt is a rookie first baseman on our team in his first home run in game two, right? They were thinking about not allowing him to be on the Major League roster. But he performed so well in spring training, he made the roster for the Giants. Not only did he make the roster, he's starting because of his performance. doesn't matter that he's 23. doesn't matter that he has limited experience. He's performed well. Every one of you in your companies, your bonuses, your raises, whether or not you stay employed, is determined by how well you perform. Right? Your your, your portfolio of your wealth, it's, it's determined by how well your money does or doesn't perform. And so it's likely that when we come into a relationship with God, our understanding is that our performance dictates his response to us. That's natural, isn't it? Our performance, God, God, God's response to it is dictated by how he performs. So here's what's amazing. Here, here's what goes so counter with God. Because Jesus has died for us, because he has died in our place, here's what's amazing. On the cross, Jesus gets what our performances deserve. Are you with me? On the cross, Jesus is not just dying a, a brutal physical death. Spiritually, He's assuming, He's taking the weight of our sin on Him. And His death, His result, He's getting what our performances deserve. And because of that death, we can be clean before God. Because of that, if we place our faith in Him. And here's what's beautiful you and I, we can get the results. That Jesus' performance deserved. Isn't that incredible? So we sin, we go against God, and Jesus gets the result of our sin. And Jesus comes to earth, he lives a sinless life, he lives a perfect life, and yet what he gets? The result of our sin. And yet we sin, and we get what his sinless life deserved. There's no greater news, no matter what topics and themes we go in here, go to, go into here at that There's no greater news that I could lay out for any of you in this room than what we're laying out for you this morning. Where are you at in this story? Are you the first theme? Are you loving God for His stuff, but not really loving God for God Himself? Are you on your way to rock bottom before you ever consider returning home? Maybe for most of us, we walked in here with lots of assumptions, and the thing we need to leave this place with is our assumptions being blown up. Understanding that God's response to our performance isn't like you would think it would be. Isn't it amazing that God's plan from the very beginning of time Send his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to to, to give the world a chance through forgiveness and grace and mercy to be reconciled with God the Father. That's God's response. Here's your part. The Bible calls us repentance. Here's your part. The Bible refers to this as repentance. Repentance literally means that you and I are going our own way, we're choosing our own path, we're living recklessly like the Son. we don't want really anything to do with God. We like His blessings. We like our jobs. We like our relationships. But we really don't want God. And we're headed towards this way. Repentance literally means an about-face. It literally means to turn back to God the Father and say, God, I thought this was best. And now I think you're best. God, I thought I could do it my own way. And now I'm going to do it your way. And some of you in the room, that's the step that needs to be taken. We have a God who doesn't determine our eternal destiny with him simply by our performance. He determines our eternal destiny and the life that we have here on this earth. But whether or not we embrace the substitute, Jesus himself, substituting his death instead of our death. And we get his life instead of the punishment that we deserve. I want to bring your attention to a few things before we finish here. One is this that you got when you came in. you guys just pull this out for a second? We believe that Easter could be the most significant day that our church experiences this year. It's three weeks away. You can see on the front there, we've got two services, a 9.30 service and an 11 o'clock service. And we as the church wonder, what might God do If we bond together and commit together to pray for this experience for 21 days straight, there's not lengthy prayer guides in there. It's just a couple of sentences. Would you pray for this? Would you pray for that? And here's one of the reasons why. We believe that our city and the Bay Area and even our church are full of younger sons. People who have assumptions about what God's really like yet they're unfounded. People who are certainly throwing their lives away in reckless living, yet they don't know the hope that God offers them. People that assume that God will want to condemn them when what God wants to do is rescue. Would you be willing, and you don't have to say yes now, but would you be willing to join arms with our staff, to join arms with our church leaders, to join arms of arms the church and say, God, we want you to do something supernatural for the next 21 days tonight, if you're considering being a part of our church, don't miss tonight. What we're going to talk about tonight is, what are the significant moments in the Christian faith? What is salvation? What what does that mean? What does it mean even to be a Christian? What's the significance of baptism? What are the values of our church? What's the difference between the religion that so many people seek after and the gospel that God clearly gives us even in this story? What does it look like to be a contributor and not just a consumer here at Epic? We're going to cover all of those things, yes, free pizza, free t-shirt, whatever gets you in. But we're going to ask God to bless our town tonight and to bless these 21 days. Because even though today is our 8th Sunday, you guys know that? Today is our 8th Sunday, we've been at this less than 2 months. But yet yeah, look around, look at the lives that God's bringing into the fold here at Apple. Who knows what God wants to do? But I think if you're on board, if we're praying... If we're asking God for the big things, if we're asking for God to create a movement in our city, it's going to be incredible to see what He does. Can you guys pray with me? And then we'll continue on. God, I thank You for this story we found in Luke 15. God, I certainly have plenty of younger son moments in my past, and sometimes, God, even these things. God, I literally believe that I need you to get a better home, or I need you to be at peace in a relationship, or I need you to heal one of my friends. I literally go back to thinking that that's really what you're good at, that's really why I need you, and I forget. God, I forget that you've invited me into a relationship, a relationship that's messy at times because of my sin, a relationship that is beautiful because of your love and your grace and your mercy. And God, you know in this room what we need. Some of us just need to repent and say, God, we've wanted your stuff, but we've not wanted you. God, others of us in this room, we are on our way, if not already, at rock bottom. God, this is a strange prayer to pray, but God, would you do whatever it takes in every person's life in this room to bring our attention to you? God, we've had so many assumptions about how you would respond to our sin, about how you would respond to us not getting it good enough, not being right. And God, you've responded. You've responded by sending Jesus in our place. God, some of us just need to go, hey, God, I want the life you have for me. I recognize what Jesus has done on my behalf. I want to embrace by faith the grace and the love the forgiveness and the mercy God, the beautiful story from the sun is that all of us are invited in. God, may we not miss out because of our assumptions or because we think we've got the good stuff or because we've got your blessings. God, help us return to you. Help us to come home to you, the place we belong, the place you created us to exist in relationship with you. God, I pray that for every one of us in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.